Uh, high five hug? Yeah. High five hug. Oh, no, I ain't. No, that one creeps me out. I'll do the high five, but the whole hug thing. <laughs> Oh man! All right, see you guys later. I'm I'm good. <laughs> uh, if you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand, and uh, one of these fine gentlemen will get you a Bible. Uh, we're continuing in First Thessalonians. Uh, it's, in New, it's in the New Testament in your Bible to the right side: Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First Corinthians, God eats popcorn, and then First Thessalonians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. But um, we're continuing today. We did uh, chapter two on Wednesday. And we're in chapter 3 today, and the title of today's message is Comforted by Faith. Comforted by Faith. And here at Calvary, we go verse by verse through the scriptures, so if you want to know what's happening next service, just read chapter 4, service after that, chapter 5, if we get that far today, which I hope we do. (laughs) But chapter 3, Comforted by Faith. Um, Last week, we looked at lives that please God and how when we begin to follow Jesus and we begin to do things the way they should be done, our lives become an example. And as we continue to follow, others see that example and they follow. And they become examples. And others follow and they become examples and so on and so forth. We also talked about the great falling away of how in the last days, which I challenge you and I encourage you that we are living in those last days. The last days before Jesus returns and before literally all hell breaks loose on earth. But he says that right before that happens, that the great falling away is going to happen first. And that great falling away, well, if you fall away, you had to be somewhere first. You can't really fall off a mountain until you've climbed the mountain. And that falling away speaks of believers who turn away from the faith, who maybe were believers or weren't believers. You know, as the, uh, John's letters say, maybe they left us because they were never among us. But really, we see, we see all sorts of Christians turning away from the authority of the Bible, from the authority of God in their lives, saying that they can do whatever they want to do, when really we've been bought with blood, and if God says something, he's probably right about it. And who are we to, to challenge that? Of course, God wants us to challenge him in a sense, hey, I have a doubt, I, I don't understand this, God, help me. Of course, he wants us to bring those things to him, but really, in the end, God is God and, and, and we're dust. But the great falling away is happening, and we also looked at that. Part of that is there's a lot of false teachers out there. And we looked at some crazy examples of what people are doing and they think it's God, and it's, it's not God. You know, and that because of this, because there's so many false teachers out there who are preaching another gospel, which, as Paul would say, isn't the gospel at all, we need to be very wary about what we're eating and what we're getting into and what doctrines we begin to play around with. You know, the things that are shared from this pulpit, please look them up. Study them for yourselves and say, hey, is that accurate or not? And even bring it up. If you think I'm teaching something heretical, please come and see me about it. I'll be more than willing to sit down and to talk with you about it, um, especially over coffee. <laughs> but really, that we need to be on guard in these last days. These last days, you know, um, as the military is pulling out of the Middle East and everything, I'm sure they're just on guard even more, because as their numbers begin to dwindle, the enemy's going to come in and want to attack as they're beginning to pull out the troops. And I think that's the same thing for us. As God is getting ready to pull out his troops from planet Earth, and bring them to heaven. The enemy's going to want to come in and destroy and do even more. So we need to be on our guard even more. But as we say that, we're going to get into chapter 3, and I think it shifts gears a little bit, because we go from these instructions and these encouragement and these warnings to, let's be comforted. Let's be comforted. So let's read the first five verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 1 says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, We thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For, in fact, we told you before, when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I can no longer endure it, Paul says, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. So again, this is a church that Paul and a few other guys founded, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, and he's writing back to them. Let me make sure you guys are doing okay. And in fact, you know, he sends 
Timothy there. But he starts out and he says, therefore, uh, when we could no longer endure it, no longer endure it. And I picture, you know, sometimes you're away and, you know, maybe your loved one has gone out and it's icy. You know, it's not winter anymore, thankfully. It's nice and warm. Um, but really in the winter, someone's driving home and it's a snowstorm and you're like, oh, I can't, I can't endure it. Text them, call them. But you're like, oh, I hope they don't answer this text in the ice while I'm texting them. Are you home safe? Are you home safe yet? And I think that that's sort of the heart that Paul had here. Are you guys still safe? Are you guys still okay? I can't endure it anymore, so i got to send Timothy to you because he didn't have Verizon. He had to send somebody actually there. So we have a little bit easier these days. We can just pick up the phone and, and hit speed dial and, and find out how someone's doing. But he says he sends his brother and minister. His brother and minister. This guy, Timothy, was uh, Paul's protege. Uh, he was a younger guy in the faith that said that his dad was Greek and his mom was Jewish and that we don't really hear much about his dad, but that he got his faith from his mom. And, you know, there's all sorts of studies we could go to on this guy, Timothy. But he was someone that studied under Paul, and he was around 40 when he took over the church in Ephesus. But Paul says something very profound about this guy, Timothy. He says that he has no one like-minded. This guy, Paul, minister, spreads the gospel, plants churches, writes a lot of New Testament on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And out of all the people that he met, and all the people that he ministered with and to, he says, this is the guy that I've only guy I found that's like-minded. Wow. Wow. So that's about to say that, you know, in a room full of 10 Christians, you'll probably get 20 opinions on a matter. But that, man, how important it is that we are like-minded. That doesn't mean we need to agree on every little doctrine. You know, obviously important ones, Jesus is God. He died on the cross for our sins. But other ones, you know, they're kind of out there. We can kind of get away with that. But like-minded, that Timothy understood the vision that God had put on Paul's life and on his own life. And they're going the same exact direction. And how important that is in life, that when we're doing anything with anyone, we're going in the same direction, let alone in the gospel, let alone in the church. You know, if the church is going forward in a direction and you don't agree with it, well, that's okay. You don't have to go along with it. But if you're going to be a part of the fellowship that goes in that direction, how good it is to agree and go forward in that. But how rare it is to find someone who's willing to serve. And I think that that's sad, that out of all the people that Paul met with, he couldn't say, I have ten guys that are like-minded with me. He said, I have one who's willing to go the distance and, uh, you know, with Paul. And I think it's important that we're willing to serve in season and out season, that we're not willing to serve necessarily the church, but that we're willing to serve God, that in a hard season or in a good season, when God says, hey, I have something for you, I have something for you to do, that we say, okay, God, I'm willing to do that for you. But he says that he's his fellow laborer, and obviously, Paul cares a lot about the Thessalonian church. He could have sent a lot of different guys there, but he was, very, he was concerned about how they were doing, and so he sent who? Timothy, the guy who was most like-minded with him, to make sure. Because that way, when Paul found out what was going on there, he knew it was accurate. He knew that whatever Timothy would see there and understand there was what Paul would have picked up on. And that it was his fellow laborer in the gospel. You know, and that we need to labor in the gospel. That the gospel is not a spectator sport. That, yeah, we come to church, we get fed, we care for each other, we minister for each other, maybe we go to the diner afterwards, I don't know what your plans are. But that it's really, it's labor together. And it's not a labor where we're struggling, and it's a labor where we're worn out, but it's a labor that, man, I get to do the work of the gospel. I get to spread the gospel. I get to tell people. I get to love people for Jesus. But that's your true calling in life. You know, maybe you're in the military. Maybe you're an accountant. Maybe... You're an NBA star. I don't know. There's only a few people who are really tall in this fellowship, but I don't know if they play basketball. But maybe that's your job. You know, we all maybe have a job. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and that's a career. In fact, I work full-time to support my wife's career of raising our kids and being a minister of the gospel with me. And to me, that's like, wow, her job is more important than mine. I'm the one who has to go to work every day. She works all day, every day. But her true work and my true work and your true work and our true calling is to follow Jesus and to spread the gospel. Yeah, you need to go to work. You can't just go tomorrow and say, my true calling is the gospel. I'm not going to work today. <laughs> you know, maybe. But really, you know, be there. I've heard it said that you get, we're spies. You know, if you're a banker, you're a spy at that bank for Jesus. You can count the money. You can do the things. But then on your break, you can share Jesus. And people can see your lives. And that's the Great Commission. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And I'm going to start a timer, so I just bought myself an extra half hour there. But 
Jesus says, and he says, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I believe we've looked at this verse a few times in the past few weeks, and I think it's that important because we're the ministers. Yes, I'm technically the pastor and I'm teaching the word today, but again, look at how many of us are here. And if we're all called to do the gospel, well, we all maybe know the gospel. Most of us in here probably know it. So what's the Great Commission? That we collectively would go out into the world and share the gospel and share Jesus' love. And the best part of that is it's good news. It's good news. Yes, there's judgment coming. Yes, there's hard times. But at the core of it, it's good news. We were sinners. We are sinners. But we're forgiven. And there's a way out of our sin. There's a way out of our tough times, a way through our tough times even better. But that God forgave us. That God in his mercy, while we were yet sinners, forgave us. He doesn't expect us to do anything to make up for it. He doesn't expect us to go out and share the gospel in his name to make up for it or make ourselves a better person. He just says, come to me. All you are heavy laden and burdened and I will give you work to do. No, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And that's good news. Because I get tired. I get tired before I was a believer. I, used to, I remember sleeping 19 hours straight once. I was like in high school. And I wasn't on drugs or anything at, at that time. But I remember waking up and not knowing what day it was. And I find when, the more I sleep, the more tired I get. And the later I wake up, I'm like, yeah, great. I slept 8, 10 hours. But now I'm even more tired and the days have gone. But that's okay. <laughs> but really, we need rest. And we don't need, I don't know where I'm going with this, but the Sabbath day, Sunday, you know, Sunday in Christian culture, because it's the first day of the week, but some disciples met together. It doesn't have to be legalist. You can't work on a Sunday. If you have to go to work, you know, after here, fine. You know, you need to do what you have to do. But the idea of having a rest, because Jesus is our spiritual rest, we still need a physical rest. There still needs to be a day, a week, where probably we just say, you know what, I'm just going to hang out and lay on the couch and watch golf or whatever you want to do, <laughs> but just to rest. And he says here in verse 2, back to the scripture, he says that he sent Timothy, uh, minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. And this shows us an order of growth here. That if we're going to grow as Christians, if we're going to grow into the calling that God has given us, if we're going to grow in sanctification towards heaven, as God has called us to be and made us to be, that there's an order there. That there's an order in church. That God is not the God of chaos, but he's a God of order. There's a way things should be done. And there's a way things shouldn't be done. I mean, it goes with anything. You know, if you're going to build a house, and I'm not a builder, you know, although I like flannel and I like watching the shows, I'm like, man, I would love to be a builder after I watch a half-hour show. But then, the, you know, it was like nine months of hard labor. I'm like, oh, I don't know, I'll stick with computers. <laughs> but there's an order. You put the foundation down first, and then you put up the framing, and then, you know, you do all the other stuff that someone who actually knows what they're doing could explain to you better. But there's an order to that. And the same thing with our walk in Jesus. There's an order. There's a foundation of the gospel. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I'm forgiven, and I can go from there. But after that, there's, uh, there's milk, like the Bible says. It talks about baptisms and uh, gifts of the Spirit and just the basic doctrine, what the New Testament teaches. And then as you get a little bit older, you get into the meat and a little bit deeper stuff. Well, what does the Old Testament really mean about this? And what is a Christophany? And what does this word mean? And, and what is the overarching theme? You know, and all this other stuff that's a little deeper, that's not essential for your faith, but it helps build you up and make you stronger. And just like you would plant something in soil, you know, my in-laws live in the black dirt, so we've been driving back and forth through the black dirt, and my daughter is too, I was looking out the window, and, you know, I'm taking this opportunity to, to teach her something, and I'm like, Mia, look at all that black stuff, that's called dirt. And you see that thing moving out there, that's a tractor, and a farmer rides on a tractor, and what he does is he digs up the dirt, and he puts the little seeds in the ground, and then onions come out, because she was looking at onions, uh, Grandma bought some onions and she was playing with them. And then showing her that this is how these things grow. That's the same thing with us, that our lives need to be dug up. The seed needs to go in. There needs to be water and then the plant grows and you feed it and you pluck fruit. You can't just throw a seed on the concrete and expect an apple in six weeks. It just doesn't work that way. In the same way in our lives, there's not going to be good spiritual fruit coming out of us unless we've dug up our hearts like we did in worship and seek God for the change and then put the word in there. 
and then continue to let the word in there and then let it grow and nourish and continue. But we need to tend that growth. Otherwise, you get some sort of wild growth. And someone comes in, you're like, wow, you look like a burning bush. <laughs> but there needs to be discipleship. There needs to be like a Paul in your life, someone who's above you in a sense, not above you like, I'm better than you and you better listen to me and what I say, but really someone who's older than you in the Lord. Maybe they're younger than you physically, but they've walked with the Lord longer and you can turn to them for spiritual advice. Say, hey, this is what's going on or what does this scripture mean? Because you can come to me, you can come to the other pastors or the leaders of the church, but really, you know, there's plenty of people in here who know what the Bible says and who may be able to minister to you. Not that we won't, but we're the body. But there also needs to be a Timothy in your life, someone who, you know, you can pour into. You know, if you're new to the Lord, don't worry about it yet. But later on, it's like, you know, it's not babies having babies. <laughs> People joked about my wife. She was in the supermarket a while back, and she's 25, and, you know, she had little Mia and this mock, mock by with a bunch of kids. She goes, babies having babies. And Ashley was like, she didn't say anything, but she's like, I'm 25. <laughs> it's not that young. But really, at some point, we're going to have spiritual babies that we're going to be able to raise up and feed. But we also need a Barnabas, like the Bible talks about, some guy who's alongside of us that we're both kind of doing ministry together and we can kind of sharpen each other. But really, like I shared before about home groups, that's where this stuff can really cultivate and grow. You know, if you want to have a couple friends over and do a Bible study, fantastic. You know, get the Bible out, pray a little bit together, put on some worship songs, and then pick a chapter or pick a book and read through it together and then just talk about it and then pray for each other. It's that simple. You know, and that's part of healthy church. This is great. You need this. You also need your personal time with the Lord, you know, whether it's over coffee in the morning and you're reading a chapter in Psalms or you're reading the Bible or your devotional book. But then we also should have home fellowships. We all, you know, whether it's at Panera or whether it's at your house, you know, get together. You know, we're the body. But then that we should be discipled. You know, we should seek out people to disciple us. And not someone that's going to say, 1995, <laughs> and I'll be, you know, you buy me lunch and I'll be your discipler. But really that we would, you know, be around people who can minister to us and speak directly into our lives because that's how we grow. Just as a farmer might tend the plants and just as the foreman at the construction site might make sure that, oh, no, that electrical needs to go into this room and not that room. In the same way, you know, and not to rule over each other. Not to, don't buy that car. I didn't approve it. But really helping each other, encouraging each other. But he goes on. He says in verse 3 that we're appointed to this. You know, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, that this church was going through persecution, this church was going through afflictions, and boy, I think we can relate in some things. I think it's funny how God works these things out. But he says here, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Again, Paul is saying, I'm not telling you anything new, I'm just reminding you that as believers, we're appointed to afflictions. You know, if we had a hard life before we knew Jesus, why do we expect life to be any less hard? It's life. We live in a fallen, sinful world. There's death, there's taxes, there's traffic, there's all sorts of things that are going to happen in your life that, like the Bible says, it rains on the just and the unjust alike. You know, that this is life. So life is going to be hard, guys. But if you're a believer, expect it to be harder. Because now you're trying to go the opposite way. The world is on a highway to hell, so to speak. And you're trying to take the narrow path, as Jesus said, to heaven. So, of course it's going to be hard. Of course it's going to be harder. Of course you're going to lose friends. Of course, people are going to backbite and say things about you because you believe something different. You say, no, the Bible is true. Jesus loves you, and I'm sorry, but that's wrong. Of course, they're not going to like that. I didn't like it before I was a believer, so why would I expect an unbeliever to, not, to, you know, to like it? You know, I want them to and come to faith, but to expect that we're not going to go through hard times and persecution, I think is kind of, you know, we kind of put the blinders on. You know, 1 Peter uh, 4, 12 through 19 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. Like, what is going on? But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Peter's saying, now, don't go suffer because you, you know, robbed the 7-Eleven. You're like, I'm in jail, man. This isn't fair. Well, you robbed the 7-Eleven. You're suffering for a good reason. But if you're suffering because you're a Christian, because no one at work likes you because you read your Bible at lunch or, you know, your friends don't hang out with you anymore because you're like, well, I'm not going to go to the bar tonight because I got church in the morning. You know, God bless you that, you know, expect that. Expect that. And then it's good because when Jesus comes, yes, finally you're back. And not like, why are you here? I'm still partying. Like, yes, now I can really party. Matthew five ten through 16. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, when we go through hard times and we glorify God, like we talked about, people are going to see that very clearly. Um, Just like when it's a dark night and a spotlight goes up or something of that nature. You see it real easy. But in the daytime, you're like, you don't even realize you have your brights on. You know, I do that all the time. I'll have my brights on. I'm coming home at night and I'm driving in the morning and I'm pulling out and I go, oh, my brights are on. But I didn't notice it until I saw a little light on the dashboard because I couldn't see the light in front of me. That's the same way. When we go through hard times, people are going to see Jesus more when we let him shine through us. And we say, yeah, this is hard, but that's okay. That's okay. You know, the Christian can't escape tribulation, but we will escape the great tribulation. You know, the great tribulation, rapture happens, seven years, you know, first three and a half years, oh, this is great, fantastic. We have one world leader, we have one world currency, they're rebuilding the temple, there's peace in the Middle East, and all this good stuff is going on. And then three and a half years of horrible, horrible things that go on. You know, we're not going to be here for that, you know. God didn't give uh, Noah, like, um, you know, swimmies and say, hang on, you know, keep paddling, you'll, you'll make it through the flood. He, no, he put him in an ark and saved him out of there, you know, and all these other things that we see in the Bible. And it's the same way. God is not going to let us go through that tribulation. Why? Because Jesus took that tribulation for us. The tribulation is for those who haven't put their trust in, in Jesus' work. And when that happens, that's the last-ditch effort of God saying, look, this has to come. I don't want you to go through this. Would you please please just accept my son. But you know, our faith needs to be built up. Our faith needs to be built up. And the only way to do that sometimes is by exercising that faith. You know, I ran once. I finally ran in my life and I ran the other week and I got to start doing it again. But it's like if the only way, if I want to be able to run further is I got to actually keep running. And we'll see if that actually happens or not. Don't hold me to it. But <laughs> I got a lot of other things that are way more important this time. But <laughs> you know, you know, I got to be holy and spiritual. But <laughs> just kidding. But really, if I expect to be, you know, be able to do three miles next time or four miles, I got to keep running those two miles. And I didn't even run those two miles. I ran, walk, ran, walk. But hey, I made it. <laughs> you know, and I'm proud of it. That's what I'm telling you. Because oh my goodness, I didn't die. <laughs> But our faith needs to be built up that way. If we're not exercising our faith, if we're not living by faith, well, how do we expect our faith to increase? We say, God, increase my faith. But I don't know that we know what we're asking for. God goes, oh, okay. <laughs> Let's let this happen in your life so that you can trust, on, trust in me more. We go, God, why is this happening? And he's like, well, remember you prayed? <laughs> you know, God allows those things. But on the flip side, faith is destroyed by giving in to temptation. Just like if I start eating donuts all day, every day, I'm probably never going to run ever again in my life. You're probably saying you probably did already, and I did, and that's why i got to start running. <laughs> but let's not destroy our faith. Let's not quench the Spirit. You know, when temptation comes, say, God, help me be faithful and resist this and go the other way by your Spirit, by your Spirit. You know, I remember when I first got saved and I was still smoking cigarettes, 
And I would put on cologne before I came to church so no one could tell. And we can tell. I, I have smelled people smoking. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I couldn't hide it. So, <laughs> But really, you know, God wasn't concerned about that right away. And maybe God's not concerned about that in your, your life. But the example I'm bringing it up for is that I remember going to get, like, nicotine gum because it was so hard to quit. And it was supposed to be like this, I forget how many weeks it was at the time, but, it, you know, you step down. And I'm doing it and chewing the gum, and I remember I still had cigarettes. I'm driving home from work on 17 North in Jersey, coming back up here. And I'm like, Lord, help me do this. Help me do this. And he's like, just quit. Just quit. I'm like, oh, it's that simple, isn't it? You know? I remember getting home really struggling and crunching the pack and throwing it out and struggling. It was a struggle and things like that, but it was that simple. I'm not saying it's going to be that simple in your life, but I'm saying it could be. It could be, and it goes with a lot of sin. There's been other times I've been in sin, and God's like, stop. I'm like, but God, this is so hard. He's like, just stop. Sometimes it's that simple. So don't let your faith that God wants to build up be destroyed by something that's very simple to just stop. And it's simple because of the cross, what Jesus did on the cross. It's not simple because, you know, we're spiritually buff. It's because he did it. You know, temptation tempts us to abandon our faith through sin. It's trusting what someone or something else says over what God says. Pretty obvious, right? Adam and Eve. God said, eat anything you want. Just don't touch that one. <laughs> All right, let's eat this one. Because <laughs> Satan told us to. And yet, what did Jesus do? Jesus is out fasting in the wilderness. And Satan says, "Turn the, you know, no, you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, you know, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was quoting what probably what scripture he was in. You know, reading through Deuteronomy or whatever he was doing. It's the same way with us. When temptation comes, increase your faith by exercising it by what? Trusting in what God says. If you don't know what God says, that's okay. We can find out because we have the Bible. Let's go on. Verse 6 through 10. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by our faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice, for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may seek your face, now we may see your face, excuse me, and perfect what is lacking in your faith. It says that, but now in verse 6, that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love. That there is other good news. And that other good news comes from the gospel. And what Paul's talking about here is that this church had faith and love. That when Timothy came back and said, I see them having faith, I see them having love. And in the end, that's what Jesus cares about. You know, if we read Revelation, if we read Matthew and we see how Jesus talks to the churches in the end and he talks about believers and the parables and what our lives should look like, what is he looking for? Faith in God and love towards God and towards others. And if we're kind of missing those, well, it's kind of evident because if we have love without faith, that love gets kind of perverted and, you know, it turns around and we say everything's acceptable or, you know, nothing's acceptable. But if we have faith, Without the love, well, we begin to put our faith in the wrong things. We begin to trust in our works. We begin to trust in what someone else said. And we get very cold and very, I have lots of faith and you don't and you should listen to me. No, because that's without love. But when we have real faith in what Jesus did and we have real love because of the love he gave us, well, that faith and love is evident. You know, the Bible talks about when, how will they know that you're my disciples? By your love for one another. And I pray and I hope that when we come in this building, we meet together, that we see some little modicum of love for each other, whether it's a high five or a hug or, you know, I'll take you out later or do you need prayer or something, that at least we sense love. Remember the first time I came to Calvary, I don't know if I shared it, but we were meeting above the dentist's office and I just got saved like that, like a week earlier and I whisked out going to Sunday service and I came to a Wednesday and I went in and I went up the stairs and there was this family and they hugged me and like picked me up. And they both did, the husband and the wife. It was like, oh, you know, where do I sit? All right. But I remember, again, like I probably said, I was like, this is weird. What do I do? 
but I kind of like it. <laughs> and then someone talked to me, and then someone else talked to me. Talk to each other. Say hi to the person next to you, behind you. If you see someone you don't know, walk over. It's 40, 50 feet. <laughs> we walk that far to get coffee, right? You know, we go to a quick check or something. Walk over and say, hi, how are you? My name is so-and-so, you know? How are you? Find out. Ask how they're doing. They've been here before. And they've said, yes, I've been coming here six years. Say, I'm sorry that I don't know you. <laughs> Forgive me for not walking to the other side of the room. That doesn't mean we have to be friends with everybody. That's really impossible. You know, we all have Facebook and we go, what's your name again? Who's this? <laughs> Why are you on my feed? You know, we can't be friends with everybody. But really, a church this size, we should at least, you know, have an idea. Have an idea. And I'm looking around going, I need to get to know some people. But really, that there's good news, faith and love, and that comes from the gospel. But verse 7 says, Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we are comforted concerning you by your faith. That Paul was distressed, Timothy was distressed, Silas was distressed. They were, man, how is this church doing? And when they found out they had faith and love, they said that they were comforted. And man, there's no greater comfort than to find out someone is walking in faith. Someone you've been concerned about. Man, I haven't heard from them in a while. I wonder how they're doing. Oh, God's doing this in your life? Oh, you've been involved in that? Oh, you went through that? Oh, wow. But to know, but then to call them and say, wow, they haven't picked up, or what's going on? You know, like we talked about last week, or last time, no greater joy than to see his children walk in truth, uh, John says in Third John. You know, there's more lasting comfort in faith during an uncomfortable time, which won't last, than there is comfort in giving into temptation, which leads to a long time of discomfort. You know, obedience, the consequence of obedience is always blessing. And the consequence is disobedience is always consequences. Is always, well, this isn't a blessing in my life. You know, immediate gratification is consequence. But self-control brings reward. That's pretty obvious, even in the physical realm. You know, you spend all your money at the most expensive item by the checkout, and you don't have money for the stuff that's important. You know, and these both have ultimate ends, heaven and hell. You know, if we're obedient to what God says and we let him help us exercise self-control, not that that gets us to heaven, but we can be assured that we're on the path that gets there, that the end of our path goes down that road. But if we're constantly giving in to sin and not exercising our faith and yet we claim to be a believer, well, what kind of confidence do we have? You know, I can even see in relationships when when I know I'm following the Lord, I begin to trust my relationships more, and then those relationships go bad, and go, well, that's okay. You know, God's in control, but when I'm not trusting God. It's like, how can I fix this? What can I do? Uh, I don't trust you. Uh, you know, very quickly. And Jesus even says in Revelation of the churches, to him who overcomes, that there's stuff in life that we need to overcome, and we're going to overcome them by faith, because again, like we talked about, the great falling away, there's a lot of hard times coming on the church. There's hard times coming on the world. Doctrinally, physically, emotionally, economically, politically, all these hard times are coming. And people are turning away because they're not overcoming. Because they're not saying, this is a hard time in my life, let me turn to the Bible. They're saying, this is a hard time in my life, let me turn to the bottle. Or, let me turn to Dr. So-and-so on TV. Because they must know the answer because they have a TV show. Really? <laughs> really? Man. Jesus overcame. And he makes a way for us to as well. And I think the best is that the faith of others can bring comfort. And I think that's why we need to talk to each other. We need to share our faith with each other and with others outside the church. Because hearing stories of what other people have gone through and how their faith got them there, that helps. That helps. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It almost sounds like a three stooges, you know. But as for the sufferings of Christ that abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. That we go through a hard time, God makes a way for us to be comforted through that. When we put our faith in that comforting item, whether it's the word of God or believers or someone else that God sent in our life, well then we're comforted. We make it through that tribulation. And then we have joy because we're like, I just made it through. And it's because I trusted in God. It's not because I did it on my own. And then someone else is going through the same thing. And you say, God's word says this. He brought me through this in my life. And this is where I'm at now. And my life is a lot harder now, but I have joy because I know God's going to get me through it. 
You know, that's why the Bible has us look back, and God has us look back in the Old Testament and see these people that went through these things in the, in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness. You think your job's hard? Moses was in the wilderness 40 years, 10 sheep. And then God says, go get my people. Come back to the wilderness for 40 years. He's being obedient. They're not. He's got to be there for 40 years. That's a pretty bum rap. But we look back at these things, and we should hear these things in each other's lives because they comfort us. Because God wants you to be comforted. He doesn't want you to be like gritting and bearing, like, oh, I can't take this. Jesus bled and died so that we could be comforted when we feel like we're being nailed to the cross. Because, you know, it's like there's so many painkillers out there today, anti-anxiety drugs, all these other things, and what do they really do? Do they solve the problem in your life? No. You know, most of us probably drive a car, right? And most of us probably know that there's an oil light in the car. And most of us probably know that the, when the oil light comes on, when it's the red one, it doesn't mean time to change the oil. <laughs> oh, i got to change No, it means there's no oil. Pull over now, put oil in it, or your motor's going to seize. You know, maybe there's one that the service light, the little wrench or something comes up. Oh, I should probably go service it. And go, really, you can probably double that because they're just, you know, <laughs> the dealer. 3,000 3, miles, a little short, trust me. <laughs> God bless you. But what... what it's like, you know, it's really like this. It's like, oh, my red oil light is on. Let me break the dashboard and pull out that light bulb. I don't need to change my oil now. I never change my oil. My oil light never comes on. Isn't life great? Why did my car break down? The oil light never came on. Well, not that there's anything wrong with medication. You know, I'm glad we have medication. When I get my teeth pulled, I'm glad there's painkillers. I'm glad I'm not biting on a bullet and, you know. Whatever, there's not a horse running away with my tooth in his mouth, you know, a tooth on a string. I'm glad we have these things. But where's our dependence? Is that on what God has said to us? What man has said to us? You know, if you have anxiety, see God. So what does prayer do? Prayer gets rid of anxiety. You know, if you're worried about something, Jesus says what? Don't worry. Don't worry, you can't make yourself a little taller. You can't change your hair color without going to CVS and getting the Clairol. Don't worry. I know that's hard. I know many of you are going, I'm worried right now about something in my life. Me too. But I don't need to worry. I can say, God, when that worry comes, you know, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm still waiting to find out about a couple things. We're technically still homeless. I'm supposed to be starting down there in two weeks. (laughs) What? What am I worried for? I can't change what happens tomorrow. And if something bad happens tomorrow, okay, Lord, this is what I got to do now, you know? And not to be flippant about it. I don't need to do anything. I, can, I don't need to worry about that light on. God's got that light. God's going to miraculously put oil in my car. No, I need to go to Valvoline or something. And I don't go there. They ripped me off once. <laughs> but, <laughs> you strike that from the record. But <laughs> This isn't Consumer Reports. But sincerely, trust in God. If you need medication, if you're trusting in God and God says, you need medication, well, that's okay. Because sometimes we have pain and sometimes there's only you know, a way to deal with that pain and help us through that pain is medication. But if God's saying, have we even gone to God first or did we go to Medicaid or Medicare and the doctors first? You know, Go to God first and then go to Crystal Run. Or wherever. Maybe there's a better voice out there. I don't know. <laughs> right, April? Got to deflect focus over that one but really i remember you know you hear a testimony of somebody i was watching these billy graham videos on uh netflix a while back about people getting saved and it's like man doesn't that just light the fire on you again like wow i remember where god brought me from and look at what god's done in your life it's like we need to share that with each other because we're not just here and we just got here and we maybe dressed up nice or you know we put on clothes that maybe didn't smell today but really our lives are changed if you walk with jesus for any amount of time your lives are changed. And even if you don't know Jesus and you've just come to visit today because you want to know what Jesus says, your life's different because you weren't doing this last Sunday. God's doing something. You know, testimony of being saved through a trial. We talked about Noah, David, Daniel, Joseph, all these guys in the Bible. Paul. This guy went through a lot. You know, faith brings joy. You know, are you feeling down on joy? Invest in faith. You start putting your stock in your faith, in the faith of Jesus, your joy is going to go up. You know, it's not a junk bond. And I don't really know much about finance, so <laughs> that's where that illustration will stop. 
But Hebrews 11, 1 through 2 says, What is faith? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Check this out. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. Faith said, God told me I'm going to have a baby, but I'm 100 years old and my wife is 90, says Abraham. But God said it, so it's probably going to happen. And yeah, maybe I tried to, you know, speed God up a little bit. And we had Ishmael, and that still wasn't the promised child. And God brought the promised child, uh, Isaac. But that's where their testimony came from, their faith, not their works. You know, they trusted God. God, of course, because he's faithful, came through with his word. And that's their testimony. Look what God has done in my life. And I had nothing to do with it. Because what's impossible with man is possible with God. You know, if you want a good testimony, if you can't see something that God has done in your life, I question, have you put your faith in something you can't see? We can't see God right now. I mean, we see the evidence of God. We're here. We have the Bible. You know, historically, there's the cross, and Jesus isn't buried somewhere, so he's somewhere. He's not in the Watchtower Society, but he's somewhere. But if you have stuff in your life you don't know the answer to, it's not seen, put your faith in, in what you can't see, in Jesus, in the future of what Jesus promises to you. And that's how we get a good testimony, guys. If That's how we get it, through faith. And it's not, man, my faith is great, but it's, wow, how great is God if I put my faith in? Verse 11, let's go on, and we're going to close out here in a little bit. Now may our, our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And if your Bible's like mine, there's a little subhead for this section that says, Prayer for the Church. Pray for the Church. And in general, and also specifically, how the Church needs prayer. Our Church needs prayer for certain things that we're going through right now, but I think overall we're healthy. There's things that we're going through that are tough, but I think overall we're healthy. But the church as a whole is disjointed, disheveled, and like we talked about, turning away from God. You know, I was driving here this morning and passed by another church, and God just led me to say a quick two-second prayer for it. That's not like, look how great I am. But really, we need to pray for the church. Church down the street. Well, that church is completely heretical. I'm not praying for them. Pray for them. Pray that the pastor and the leadership would get convicted and go, well, this is not what the Bible says. This is not what the Bible does because they carry the name of Jesus. We should pray for them. We should pray for everybody, but the church needs prayer. You know, it's like church politics. It's like, why is there, why is there church politics? Not separation of church and state. That's not what I'm talking about. But really, it's like, well, you went to a church that wasn't Calvary Chapel? You listen to a guy who teaches where? Oh, I don't know about you. I'm going to have to break fellowship with you. I can't talk to you anymore. No, get out of town. I mean, does that church teach Jesus? Does that church teach the Bible accurately? Are they, you know, following out the scriptures as God would say? Then great. God bless them. Fellowship with other believers. It's not, we're not Calvary Chapelites. Paul, you know, even says, you know, some of you are talking about, I'm of Paul and I'm of Paulus. And he's like, I'm glad I baptized only like three of you. So you can't claim to be my disciples. That's the same way. Yeah, Calvary Chapel is great. Most of the Calvary Chapels you can go to and you go, you know what you're going to get. Hopefully, you come here, and I don't know what you're going to get, but <laughs> you know, at least if I'm up here. But you know you're going to get solid teaching. You know you're going to get uh, worship and good fellowship and love across the gamut. And that's why you know, we kind of recommend other Calvary chapels, because it's good. But there's plenty of other good churches out there. Now, I'm not saying that every church out there is good, but some that are like we talked about are full of false teachers and messed up stuff. But just because they go to something that's a little different doesn't necessarily mean that you can't fellowship with them. You know, it's like... Some people like Mexican food. Some people like Chinese food. You know, it's, it's food. It's all just food. And you're not eating Drano. You know, it's fine. You have to say that these days. There's these shows about like eating weird stuff, and people are like chewing on fabric softener. It's like you let someone film you doing that. <laughs> no thanks. But really, let's pray for each other. And we're the church, right? It's not the building. It's you and me. So we need to pray for each other after service. Feel free to pray for somebody next to you. You don't even need to ask them. Say, can I pray for you real quick? Would you pray for me? You know, Revelation 3.8, Jesus says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, and I've kept my word, and I'm not denied my name. 
He says, I've set before you an open door. You don't have to be strong to go through that door. Just go through it. And they have a little bit of strength because they've kept his word and not denied Jesus. And that's the key, guys. We just need to keep his word and not deny him. And we'll get through. You know, prayer changes things. You know, you want to see God's power? Start praying for something. Like, I don't really see God doing anything in my life. I'm not really sure what God's will is for my life. Well, have you prayed? My family's messed up. Well, have you prayed for them? My job is messed up. Well, have you prayed about your job or your coworkers or your boss? (laughs) You know, I've had great bosses, so God must answer prayer. (laughs) Their prayer, really, I guess. But um, start praying for something. Start praying for something. Whatever it is, start praying for it. I guarantee you're going to, whoa, your eyes will be open in a sense, and you're going to see God doing something. Just like with, uh, I guess it was Elisha, I think, or Elijah and his servant. And there's the enemy troops on the hill. Of Ahab, I think Syrians or Ahab, I was just reading it. I should know this. But they were coming to take him. And the prophet says to his servant, he actually says, wait, you don't see what's really going on here? He's like, why aren't you scared? We need to get out of here. He's like, Lord, open his eyes. And God touches this guy. And he sees God's armies all over the mountains. And he goes, oh, okay, I'm not scared anymore. Like there was a couple, you know, bullies outside wanting to, to terrorize us. And God says, open our eyes. And we see, you know, the whole army of the United States coming against these four guys in our parking lot. You know, it's the same way. It's like when we begin to pray about something, we begin to see what God's doing. Even though it looks like the odds are against us, we see what God's doing and realize he's for us and not against us. And he said an open door, door before us for us to walk through in faith. We go, wow, I can get through this. I'm not worried anymore. I'm not worried about that little bill I have because God owns everything. And, you know, 40 bucks doesn't matter to him, even though it matters to me, but God can get you through. <clears throat> Verse 11 says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. You know, prayer brings God himself to show up. You know, God can't stay away. We look through the Old Testament, we see Christophanes, like before he judged Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus shows up and says, I've heard a lot about them. I need to go down and see for myself. But you begin to pray, and God's really already there. God's everywhere, and God's concerned about you. Sometimes God's just waiting for you to pray, like, I'm going to fix this for you, and I want to fix it for you, but I want you to know that I fixed it for you, so I'm going to wait a little bit and let you pray about it. You know, prayer is putting yourself in a place that God can work. It's not putting him in a place where he can work. It's putting you in a place where he can work. Him at the center, you and me at the side. You know, it's like sometimes you just know what you're doing and you got to do it and get it done and then someone wants to help you and you're like, no, 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 don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, but it's like the same thing. God's like doing something and we're like, God, get out of the way. <laughs> no, 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 I'd write it like this or I'd do it like this. And God's like, all right, but it's much better if I do it for you. You know, Verse 12 says, And the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. You know, love must increase. You know, if love's not increasing, it's decreasing. It's like the gas in your car. You know, if you let it sit there for a while now with all that, then I'll probably eat through the gas tank. But, you know, it's like you're either filling it up or you're driving the car. And, you know, at one point it's going to run out. You've got to fill it up. And that's sanctification. The Christian life should be growing and growing and growing and growing. So when you get to heaven, it's almost like there's not that much change. It's like spiritually, oh, I'm in heaven, and I was pretty close on earth. Well, maybe, not maybe, I'm maybe very far, but our bodies will be changed. You know, the goal is that we'd be made more like Jesus. And if that's not happening, are we living the Christian life? Are we growing? If you don't see your faith increasing, are you giving God the opportunity to? Because he's maybe put an open door before you, and you go, I don't want to walk through that door. That door's hard. I know it's on the other side of that door. But God's saying, I need you to walk through that door. I need you to stay in this time that you might grow. And sometimes we can't see ourselves grow. Sometimes we go, I'm not growing at all. And someone else next to you say, I've seen you change immensely in the past year or six months or through this trial. So again, that's why it's important that we're around other believers and we're talking and praying for each other because we can encourage each other in these things. But really, are we growing? You know, prayer gets God's work done by getting us in the right place to see it happen. You know, it's like if you go to a sporting event, you want to get the good seats. You know, it's like, I remember going to hockey games a lot. I was a kid, and, you know, we'd go out in intermission uh, to go get, like, hot dogs or something. It was Brendan Burning Arena at the time, and, you know, you'd be out there, and they'd have, like, a little tiny TV screen 
you see the Zambonis going around, and then the line would get shorter and shorter. And then you look up and like, oh, the players are coming back on the ice. And then you finally get up to where you get your hot dog and drink for eight hundred dollars. And then, although it's probably my parents paying for it, it doesn't matter. But, um, <laughs> but then they start getting on the ice. And you're like, oh no, I'm missing the play. And then you you know you're running back with your hot dog and drink. And there's people, and you're like, come on, you know what section am I at? Oh no, it's the purple green, you know whatever section of the arena it is. And then you hear goal, and the lights are going off, and you're like, I missed it. <laughs> You know, I waited three hours, and this is a one goal of the game, and I missed it. That's the same way with prayer and seeing God work. You know, if we're not busy about praying in our own lives and for others and with others, God's going to be doing something, and we're going to miss it. And we're going to go, I'm not seeing God work. God, why aren't you working? And God's like, I am, and I want to, but you've got to be in the seats. You know, again, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. If a church isn't loving one another, why would the world want to be a part? You know, why would we want to bring our friends here and our family here who we care about and we're like, we've been sharing Jesus with them or we've been praying for them and putting that hard work in? But then we come to church and people are yelling at each other, fighting, no one shares, people are cutting each other off for the coffee line. You know, it's like, oh, you know, maybe we'll just go to the movies today and maybe I can, you know. You know, they will just mock and watch it fall apart like an obnoxious reality show. You watch because it's a train wreck. You turn it off because it's something you don't want to take part in. And let that not be our church, guys. Our church. This is your church. You're here. You know, if you want this to be your home church, it's your home church. There's no membership to fill out. But really, if we want this place to be a place of love, you know, just like the Bible says, if you want friends, he who wants friends must he himself be friendly. You know, we need, not this whole karma idea, I'm going to do it, you know, so that I get back, but really, like, Let's love each other. And people will know. And then people will mock and say, look at that church. You know, they love each other. So what? (laughs) You went to church? Yeah. I love people and people love me there. Of course I'm going to go there. But really, let's not turn on each other. Let's not backbite each other. You know, if you hear gossip or backbiting, squelch it. You know, sometimes it's hard to do. You know, I've been in situations with people and I'm like, you really just need to stop saying that. (laughs) You know, you don't know what's going on. You don't know that person. You just need to, to stop. And they're like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't realize, you know. And you move on from there. You don't need to be rude about it, but it's like we need to squash these things that we might love each other. You know, but it says God will establish your hearts. As we do these things, as we pray, as we put our faith in Jesus, as we comfort each other in love and in faith, that God will establish your hearts. You know, are you worried? Pray. And he will strengthen you and guide you. You know, and you won't have that assurance without prayer. When I don't pray about something, I stay worried about something. When I pray about something, my worry decreases. When I keep praying about it, my worry goes away. And then I see God work, and I'm like, oh, I would have never thought of that before if I hadn't been praying about it. But sometimes it's a long time. You pray, and the worry goes away. And then you go a couple days, and you're reminded of it again, and you pray, and then the worry goes away. And sometimes it might be your entire life. But God doesn't want you to be chained down by that worry. You know, the word washes, prayer strengthens but the Spirit emboldens. That when we're in the Word, it's going to wash our brains, it's going to give us the perspective that God has in our lives. When we pray, it's going to give us the strength, the trust, and believe in it, and put it in God's hands. But then as we let the Holy Spirit work in our lives, it's going to give us the strength and the emboldenedness to go out and live it out, and share it, and bring it to others. And verse 13 says, that they may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. All his saints are coming back with him. It's not, well, some of the saints. It's all the saints. So if you want to come back with him, make sure that you're a saint. But it says that he's blameless in holiness at the return of Jesus. You know, are we blameless? Well, technically, no. We've all done things that are wrong and deserve blame. And the thing in society today is to blame everyone else. Take this pill and blame your parents. Take this pill and blame society. Take this pill and get in the line and throw your hand out. <laughs> blame someone else. It's someone else's problem. It's not your problem. But that's not true. That doesn't get rid of problems. That creates more problems. And we all know that when we push blame on something else, it causes more problems in our lives. But are we blameless? No, but are we blameless? Yes. In God's eyes, when we trust in Jesus, we're blameless because Jesus took our blame. And are we holy? No. No. Uh, there's no halo over my head. 
You know, I'm not glowing. You know, maybe the light's on me and I got like a red glow from, it's warm up here, I don't know. But I'm not holy because of anything I've done. You and I are holy because of what he's done. And what does holy mean? Holy means set apart. It means you were in the mud. Now you're holy. You're set apart to do things that aren't muddy anymore. You can be blameless, but not be holy. You might not have technically done anything wrong, but you might be a good person per se, but it doesn't make you holy. Because blameless is a state, but holiness, that's a calling. Like we talked about in chapter 1, God's calling you home. God's calling you to be a believer. God's calling you to walk that life. And God's calling you to heaven by knowing His Son, Jesus. You know, God makes you blameless at the cross that you may pursue holiness from the cross. God says, I've taken your blame away. I've forgiven you. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to like a dog return to its vomit? A pig back to the mud? I hope not, God says. But will you pursue holiness? Will you pursue what the Bible says? Will you pursue a life that I've called you to live in? Because the life I've called you to live in is better than the life you have been living in and may even want to live in. Pursue holiness by pursuing Jesus. If you need to pursue Jesus today, if you never pursued Him before, He's been pursuing you your entire life. The Bible says that, again, like when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died 2000, over 2,000 years ago for your sin and my sin. We weren't even born yet, and Jesus said, I'm going to die for you before you show up. So, you and I had nothing to do with that. It was all His choice. We didn't petition Him. We didn't beg Him in prayer. He did it before we were even born to pray, before our parents were born, our parents' parents. He's pursuing you. Maybe you've been living a life as a believer. You're like, why am I not seeing God working? Why is God not involved in this situation in my life? He is. He wants to be. But you have to let Him be. He's a gentleman. He's not going to invade your home. Jesus here, I'm duct taping you up in the corner and I'm going to have my way with your life and steal your TV. No. He's saying, I stand at the door and I knock. I want to come in. I want to go through this with you. I want to get through this with you. I want to help you. I want to give you abundant life. Yeah, you may lose all these things in your life that you like and hold dear, but I'm better. If you've never received Jesus and you don't have the assurance of heaven, today's the day, not because I'm saying it, but because Jesus has been saying it for 2,000 years. If you want to receive Jesus in your life, and that's not something like, I'm going to take Jesus and put him in my life, but if you want to receive Jesus as your life, by receiving his forgiveness for your sins, would you just stand? You're not standing for me. You're standing for him. Because he stood on the he stood on the ground and then he stood on the cross. And he let go of his free will that you might have a choice. So if you need him, just stand. And I'll pray a prayer with you. Don't, don't deny him. He's not mad at you. Give me another chance if you want to stand. Father, you're good. And Lord, you're the one making the call. You made the call years ago on the cross. That God, you want us to be forgiven. You said, I want them to be safe. God, if there's anyone in here who hasn't done that, Lord, may they do that, whether it's now or after service. But God, I pray it's now because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. But Lord, for the rest of us who have accepted you, who have decided to walk with you, would you help us continue to walk with you? With every head bowed and eye closed, if you're a believer and you need God to help you through a situation, my eyes are closed too, raise your hand to him. It's not anything magical about raising your hand, but it's an opportunity to say, God, Pick me up, I need you. So God, would you pick us up? Would you bring us through these hard times? Would you help us to be blameless and to pursue holiness? That God, the world might see you and we might live for your coming. That God, when you return, you would find faith 
on the earth. And God, we pray you would bring comfort in our lives. We pray you would help us to get off the things that we're using as crutches and just let ourselves be laid down before you. I pray, God, for anyone here who needs a job or has got a broken marriage or kids who have gone astray or whatever they're going through, God, you know exactly what it is and you care about it. So would you give them comfort and give us comfort this day? I pray you'd bring us closer to you. you continue to work in this church. But Lord, help us just to know you better, that we would just pursue you. God, not for the things you give us or can do for us, but just because you're God and you're wonderful. So thank you for loving us. I pray, God, you bless the rest of our day. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So God bless you guys. Thanks for sticking around. Why don't you hang out? There's probably free food in the cafe. And then uh, hope you have a good day. Enjoy this weather.